Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sex Ed Shouldn't Suck. I'm Kaylee. This week, we are doing the second half of our interview with Jeff Eaton, who is the co-host of the Christian Rightcast. If you haven't listened to our last episode, which is the first half of this interview, I highly recommend it that you go back and listen to that one. It's all about Jeff's personal experience growing up in purity culture in the 80s and 90s. This episode is going to be a little bit more focused on the leaders in the purity culture movement and on the Christian right. It's very informative, though I do want to warn any listeners that there are some moments that might be triggering around sexual assault, grooming, etc. We don't go into a lot of details about this, but if that's too much for you, just go ahead and skip on over this one. All right, let's get started. So... Kind of switching gears, kind of, kind of not. I, I'm interested in getting to a little bit more of the root of purity culture and how it ties into our broader culture, particularly with politics and everything. So your podcast, The Christian Right Cast, it does focus on you know figuring out where the Christian right came from in regards to politics and, and culture. So I, I would love to talk about that through the lens of purity culture and yeah. kind of talk about, yeah, who are like the key players here in this movement? What, so, like, what were their motives? That's what I really want to know. Why, why the hell were they doing this so to I, us? <laughs> I feel bad because like my, my co-host on the Christian right cast, uh, Kristen Rawls, she's like the journalist and researcher. <laughs> and I am the court jester slash obsessive <laughs> person who like goes on a deep dive when I get fixated on figuring something out and, and make lots of wise cracks. So I feel like I may not do justice to the full historical nuance of it, but I will. Well, we'll just have to get her, her on here too. Um, <laughs> right. We'll fact check with Kristen. <laughs> uh, excellent. Excellent. Um, so I, I mean, I think it's, there's, there's a long history of like Christianity and fundamentalism in general, um, putting like restrictions on human sexuality at the core of like certain mechanisms of like in-group and out-group identity, and as a way of distinguishing us from the corrupt libertine them. Um, and I, I feel like you know. It, I, I'm, I'm unqualified to track the full history of that going back to, like, the epistles in the Bible and how <laughs> in the relationship with various parts of Rome. Mm-hmm. But, like, those threads are there in, like, how we are set apart from others as an important part of, like, religious purity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the idea of, like, how how sexual purity and religious purity and ideological purity all got really deeply tangled up in each other is a is a particularly modern kind of narrative mm-hmm. um like i think you know like when i when when we were digging through the history of like the purity culture movement for for our show like there's you know going back to like the early 1900s there were movements like the moral hygiene movement um in you know and and that was not even entirely a religious one. It was like in the you know turn of the century, early 1900s, basically an attempt to say, oh, for the love, oh, everybody's getting STDs. We got to do something <laughs> about this. And it was like, they did things like trying to start 
the concept of sexual education in like you know chicago was actually one of the cities where this was the first attempt was made to like just teach people okay here's how you don't get venereal diseases mm-hmm. baseline and th- it was framed as like moral hygiene being a good and upstanding person um and it interestingly enough that movement at the time like the idea was that problems arose not from like an evil human nature or like uh you know the fact that you're a a a sexy libertine deep down and you've got to you know keep that under wraps but that ignorance of how to best do things was a problem so we had Mm -hmm. to educate people like abstinence and marriage is the best means of preventing preventing venereal diseases was like the sort of pitch for it but obviously if you know it would you know be sure that if you're you know in europe on the war make sure you use condoms you know like that was the (laughs) sort of again hand wavy but like that's Mm -hmm. sort of like some of the first culture war moments because there was still a lot of pushback against that by religious groups in america when that attempt to basically get that message out there came through and uh, you know it was extremely contentious um and you know again i'm no expert but like it never really got traction culturally at that point because of that huge pushback and Mm -hmm. like by the 50s you know a lot of messaging was focused on like very euphemistic um conversations about like don't be loose and Mm -hmm. don't go steady too early and stuff like that and it wasn't really a thoroughly uh, an articulated theological framework like although it was you know something that many fundamentalists said was very important it was just sort of a defense of morals yeah it was just a part of it morals and like community norms and standards are important and that's part of it Mm -hmm. um but in the 60s and then 70s is like the sexual revolution quote unquote um became more visible to broader culture um you know it's not like you know suddenly in the 1960s people began having sex you know that's (laughs) obviously ridiculous but the idea that it suddenly was pushed to a point where it was impossible to maintain like this strict divide between the moral public face of how you ought to be and what people were really doing, you know, mm-hmm. on the weekends or whatever. That was a big tipping point. And, you know, you can look back and lots of fundamentalists and evangelical Christians, even today, will talk about the 60s as like where it all went downhill, where this, where everything broke and how much better it was before everything became quote sexualized and conveniently (laughs) forgetting like the 1920s and everything um and then even then they didn't necessarily get a lot of traction in what we would now consider like the purity purity culture and abstinence focused um like messaging until the era of AIDS mm-hmm. when suddenly this wasn't just about casting aside restrictive cultural norms and, you know, being a sexual person. Suddenly there was like this perception that there is a real serious downside that you could be harmed by this. Mm-hmm. And <sighs> there's a million things to say about think about what went horribly off the rails in our culture's response 
to AIDS and how much damage was done by treating it as a fundamentally moral issue rather than a public health issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the shift in cultural conversations around sex that came with that were, I think, that's impossible to separate from like the modern purity culture movement because the modern purity culture movement never really fully articulates that idea of consent is irrelevant. You are, you know, you do not own yourself. You are gods and your spouses, you know, that's not the message. The Mm -hmm. message is, Oh, sex is so dangerous. You'll regret everything that happens. You know, people are abusive and will take advantage of you and you'll feel used and left of alone. And, we can help you prevent that. That's the message that the movement really settled on. It, it, it coalesced around that. And like in the early 90s, as Christians were starting to push back against secular efforts at sex education in the AIDS era, mm-hmm. like starting to talk to people about like, oh, contraceptives are really important. The idea of safe sex as a like a concept or even a catchphrase was born out of that era. And that was like seen as an existential threat to a different way of looking at things. Mm -hmm. And the modern purity culture movement really was, is like, uh, it's a war on that way of approaching human sexuality. Um, Yeah. And it, it's gotten tied up in lots of other things, you know, the, uh, you know, did patriarchal gender norms and, you know, and, you know, and gender essentialism, was that why purity culture emerged or did purity culture emerge and reinforce those things? I, it, it's like, it's a chicken egg question, <laughs> yeah. I think, to some extent. And the answer is like, yes, to all of the above (laughs) but like how it exists today it's only really possible to understand it as like really kicking off in response to the attempt to treat you know sexually transmitted diseases as a public health issue yeah and to talk openly with you know teens and even children sometimes about Mm -hmm. like hey basic messages like you own your body people can't tell you what to do and broaching those things sort of pulls the rug out from under that pure versus impure way of approaching things and that grew into campaigns like you know why wait and true love waits you know with josh mcdowell anybody who grew up in the Mm -hmm. 90s in the church probably got subjected to you know something (laughs) along those lines um and it was actually founded by like a you know baptist minister who like the true love waits campaign was founded by uh, i think jim hester a baptist minister who was trying to formulate a christian alternative to um you know sexual sex education programs that wouldn't lead people astray Mm -hmm. um and that turned in that morphed into like the biblical masculinity movement and like what kind of man should you be and that turned into like all of the weird over the top you know wild at heart was the book we mentioned books like Mm -hmm. tender warrior like Mm -hmm. the hidden heart of a man you should be like a marine and you know every you know what's more 
warrior-like than not having sex until you're <laughs> married. Um, you know, there's some, there's a lot of contradictions inherent in like the in, in the messaging and you know the ideas, but that framing of you know this hyper masculine biblical warrior who stands as the guard against you know evil for his family but if you're impure you can't do that you know mm -hmm. you can't be that righteous guardian for your family and courtship and anti-dating culture sort of you know they grow out of that and framing it as like punk resistance against a libertine culture it's all tangled up in that so like, i i don't know if this is I, I don't know if i'm just fire hosing random stuff but like this is it, it's a sort of evolving it, purity culture exists in dialogue with the broader culture as much mm -hmm. as as much as fundamentalist approaches to things want to separate and isolate they do exist in the larger culture and they are in dialogue with it and mm -hmm. like a lot of the a lot of the challenges that our broader culture grapples with like oh wow misogyny is everywhere huh we should probably figure out how to you know how to deal with that um purity culture often like eats that message and figures out how to absorb it into its messaging like mm -hmm. oh yes women are treated terribly in the workplace yeah That's because everybody's not living by purity culture you know mm -hmm. it, and the the really dark side of that, as as if we've been talking about the cheery, happy part of it, <laughs> um, is that it also ties in with a lot of tendencies inside of the church to protect abusers and yeah. to give shelter to sexual predators as long as they know how to talk the talk correctly and show the correct degree of you know sorrow for being tempted by sexual sin in some broad fuzzy way everyone knows oh okay well that's some you know it's he did us something bad but he's very sorry we mm -hmm. should you know we'll we'll let him take a two-month break from you know preaching and then he'll come back and you know more on fire for god it's like mm -hmm. hold on wait a minute <laughs> you you groomed a 15 year old and mm -hmm. like you were caught having you were caught sexting with a 15 year old that's not my wife and I have been struggling and I was tempted mm -hmm. into sexual sin. That's like you're a predator. Mm -hmm. But that stuff gets sort of erased under the umbrella of, well, whom's among us hasn't some hasn't looked at someone with abs. It's like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa. You know, that, that like collapse of everything to sin or not sin rather yeah. than engaging with abuse versus you know abuse and predation what is pathology versus just something someone is ashamed of you know like mm -hmm. th those are questions that are all flattened in that culture and it it it's an incredibly fertile environment for abusers who know how to navigate it yes and 
That's exactly what I was going to say. I First of all, do not think that you just fire hosed random things. I think you set a really, really great timeline of the way that sex has been talked about in our culture in America for the last hundred or so years and shown exactly where the turning point was with the AIDS crisis. So while some people were trying to talk about the issues and figure them out, we've got purity culture over here saying, no, 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 you should just abstain from everything we don't have to talk about this that's the safest thing the problem is is people aren't uptight enough anymore yeah yeah and then i i'm really glad that you brought up the whole idea that abusers can really take advantage of this because i think that's something that it, it really does just get pushed under the rug yet we've seen I mean two examples come immediately to mind that have come out just very recently in the last few years has been Bill Gothard, who we talked about earlier, and oh, yeah. um, Josh Duggar are mm -hmm. two examples of sexual assault or, um, I guess, in Josh Duggar's case, it, well, there was a sexual assault allegation for him. There's multiple and also child pornography as um, well. Yeah, I mean, it. it, it Josh Duggar in particular feels like it, it's like, uh, you know... Uh, like the the example case of how the the norms of purity culture can both shelter abusers, punish victims, mm -hmm. treat the victims as people who their job is to forgive and help someone be restored and get better after giving in to temptation, um, which is a monstrous way of framing, you know, somebody who like abused, sexually abused their sibling or something like that. I mean, it, yeah. Um, but then th by the same token, this is somebody who like as a teenager was radiating all kinds of signals that like this person needs intervention and help at the very least e even mm -hmm. like putting aside like questions of like punishment and protection and like you know us like a carceral approach to any of that stuff like this person you know josh doger ended up then following a very stereotypical arc of being restored and being apologetic for this sin that he fell into and then it happening again and him being very sorry and then you know i think years later you know the, there was a controversy about oh he had an account on ashley madison and mm -hmm. was like you know hunting around for people to have an affair with but inside a purity culture it's like oh well but if he didn't really have an affair that was just a temptation and that was bad obviously but you know it's well you know it's every man's it's struggle so contradictory the, like no not necessarily like downloading and consuming child sexual abuse materials is not in fact every man's struggle i just <laughs> yeah. want to put that out there right and, but there's not even a vocabulary for mm -hmm. talking about that and in the wake of josh duggar being arrested for like possessing you know child abuse yeah. materials lots of people in purity culture their response was well that's the problem with porn it's like uh <laughs> just gonna put a pin in that not be like 
even if you believe that both of them are wrong, mm -hmm. it is critical that there be some sort of vocabulary for talking about the differences between someone looking at something that if they were pure in their heart, they wouldn't. And yeah. being complicit in the act of abuse and harm of someone who can't consent. Like, the, yeah. that there's no vocabulary for that and that it's collapsed to, oh, you know, they they fell to temptation without without capturing the the, the dangers of the those distinctions it, again. Yeah. It goes almost a level deeper, like beyond just the vocabulary. Like there are no structures for accountability. There are no structures for justice. There there's no understanding of how to even handle that when people do abuse purity culture and, and do uh, abuse other people because you've set up the framework uh, to say, you know, you would never even need to understand about abuse or rape or any of that, because why would you ever even be in a position where you could be sexual with someone else? So mm -hmm. when you don't prepare people for things like that to happen, there's no, and, yeah. And that's where victims in that yeah. context are often blamed explicitly that, you know, well, this person did a terrible thing, but well, you know, as a 14 year old, shouldn't you have known better than to, you know, show your shoulders than to yeah. <laughs> be alone with that. Yeah. Right, you know, to mm -hmm. be immodest or whatever. And, it, well, <laughs> I, I'm preaching to the choir, so to speak. But, like, it, it, it well, me, even well meaning people who understand in their gut there's something deeply wrong here and this is different and it needs to be addressed have been trained out of even having a vocabulary mm -hmm. to talk about the difference. And uh, that strikes me as not just sad, but like genuinely dangerous. So when it comes to these powerful leaders in the purity movement, Bill Gothard, Josh McDowell, um, oh, Josh Harris, I mean, there's so many Joshes. Just, it's a uh, Joshapalooza. <laughs> what, what do you think their main motivations are when it comes to championing these movements? Oh man, well, that, that feels like a perfect time for a taxonomy. Um, like, I mean, I I think there are, I, I wouldn't hazard a guess as to what the numbers breakdown is, but I'd say there, you know, there's always going to be some percentage of like genuine true believers who have taken in the idea that this is the way you ought to do it and earnestly want to make a case for it. And sometimes mm -hmm. they're conflicted and, you know, there's complexity and, you know, maybe a secret life or questions that they have but aren't willing to talk about publicly. But for the most part, like what's driving them is like, okay, I'm supposed to do what's right and I want to, you know, I want to push this because that's what's right to do. There's always going to be people like that in almost any movement or idea group. But like, then you've got the fundamental ideas of purity culture are high control authoritarian ideas. And that mm -hmm. also means that there's always going to be some people whose driver, whether it's spoken or not, is that they want to be in the driver's seat of an authoritarian group, you know, 
yeah. they would like to be at the top of that stack of people holding cultural power in a group. Um, mm-hmm. And purity culture is a facet of like modern authoritarian fundamentalism that it's one of the sort of clubs that you can beat people down with when they mm-hmm. fall out of line or they are, yeah. you know, when they're having questions about whether or not this is really good or not, it's an easy club to beat people down with. Um, and then I yeah. think there are just flat out predators too. Um, like, I think there's a strong case to be made that, um, that Bob Jones it, it probably falls under that category, you know, um, just because of a lot of the accusations about how he has, you know, uh, accusations of abuse in over the years uh, in his past, even as he was laying down this formula for, you know, total separation of the sexes is critical to like, you know, a godly life. It, and a lot of the sort of homeschooling chic aesthetic of like long mm-hmm. prairie dresses and, you know, long wavy brown hair and, you know, no makeup. But I, I, no, I, I mean, I, I'm just trying to like articulate like what the, what the no, no, you're totally right. I, ideal is that like that's what you ought to, that's the, the iconic mm-hmm. look of purity that I think became. Yeah an implicit part of that, like, you know, a lot of people have come out of, you know, that movement and the groups that he was a part of and basically said, oh, yeah, that was just what he liked. That was totally his look. That was the look that he went for. And he built a system that held that up as the ideal of purity that all good people should strive for. And like, I don't know, you know, not being his personal psychologist, figuring out how much of that was a conscious (laughs) thing that was sought and how much of that was just you know well if you don't deal with your issues you you end up building a giant spotlight out of them and you know that's what happened i don't know but i think that like the fact that there are predators in purity culture and that it's language and that it's pressures and that it's norms allow them to hide and excuse what they do and shift blame and Mm -hmm. squirm away from consequences when they are caught like it it it's it makes it a very again you know it's a it's a very rich environment for predators just because of that Mm -hmm. um and i think then there's some people that also just it's a cultural identity thing too it's like it's how you belong it's you know even if there isn't necessarily an earnest desire to like suss out the theology of sexuality and do the right thing by god this is what we do and i want to be part of Mm -hmm. we and you know the the, like Mm -hmm. there's a cultural norm that being outside of it means you're looked down on and being inside of it means that you're okay and people want that. I mean, I feel like, you know, it's a genuine mix of all those things. And Mm -hmm. I don't, I, I, I would, I'd hate to know 
I, I'd hate to guess what the breakdown is, but I do think the more visible a personality gets as like a public figure for the purity movement or something like that, and the more they engage with making the case for it and arguing for it and answering questions about how to handle the tough cases and stuff like that, the more difficult it is to remain an idealist who just believes deep down this is the way to go. There are just so many ragged, rough edges to it all that the amount of work that it takes just to hold it together in your head is tremendous, you know, and Mm -hmm. I I think it it makes it tougher and tougher for idealists to stay with it the more they're called to to deal with those kinds of things. I think that's one of the reasons why we, we see a lot of people at a high level who, you know, either it turns out they're just assholes like, you know, Mark Driscoll, one of the pastors who, like, I think sort of really staked out the brand of, like, bad boy, yeah, I drink beer, and yeah, I've got tattoos, and yeah, I swear, and yeah, I have lots of hot (laughs) sex, and, you know, but also, my church is super patriarchal, and my wife has to ask permission before she cuts her hair. Like, like, like he kind of staked that zone out, and it's like, there Mm -hmm. doesn't even need to be a secret side of that. He's just, he's just an asshole, and this is toxic, you know, full stop. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, like, Josh Harris, who wrote the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, which was like, you know, for my generation, that was like the, the edgy, Mm -hmm. you know, young person writing this, you know, manifesto about how, you know, dating culture was all wrong. And now he's mm-hmm. even said, you know, wow, that was super toxic and I messed up a whole bunch of people and, you know, sorry. And the degree to which, like, <laughs> he's following a path of, like, figuring out how to, how to fix things versus just trying to stake out a new brand is, mm-hmm. I think, still an open question. But, like, even people who've had that kind of a role in the movement aren't unambiguously like on board with it many of them have left yeah. or just turn out to be assholes <laughs> like mark driscoll sorry you can edit that out if you want but right. we are here for mark no. driscoll <laughs> like in my giant like conspiracy theory wall chart wow mark driscoll is a dick <laughs> is literally one of the like boxes in the diagram <laughs> Hello, everyone. Side note here. If you don't know who Mark Driscoll is, he is in an evangelical pastor who founded the Mars Hill Church in Seattle, which no longer exists. And now he works as a senior pastor at Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. He has written a lot of popular Christian books, including Vintage Jesus, Real Marriage, and A Call to Resurgence. And he has really horrific beliefs around sexuality, gender, all that kind of good stuff. Um, He's also been part of many controversies in particularly the last few years, including allegations of abusive behavior from his own congregation. If you want to look him up to learn more, I definitely recommend you do so. We could have a whole podcast episode just about this dude. (laughs) But um, there is also a podcast that goes over all the controversies that happened at his church. It's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. I will link it in the show notes if you want to check it out. I know I'm going to. Okay, back to the show. The, I, I think the way you classified all those different groups of people is really interesting. And, and one thing that I find really frustrating about talking to Christians about this is that they'll often say like, oh, you know, all, all the people that did really bad, 
those aren't real Christians. That's not real purity culture. That's not the heart of it. But what doesn't, what, what I just want to scream at them is the entire basis that this is built up on, like the fact that we're telling people that consent doesn't matter, that the man is the authority, that like it, it builds up this entire culture that like the whole system is working for those people and you can't not address that, but they don't. Yeah, and, and I mean, and to be fair, like <laughs> in the absence of any other ethical or moral like grappling with questions of like harm and you know good or whatever like consent as a singular binary to determine is something good or not sure that's insufficient like you know any simplistic you know thing it is entirely possible that someone could be in a a, a terrible place and wholeheartedly consent to something that is gravely damaging to them but like mm -hmm. that is as much of an edge case that needs to be grappled with ethically and morally as like a caring human being as anything else and the fact that that theoretical possibility exists out there doesn't mean that the framework that purity culture offers is good it, because that's mm -hmm. just as damaging at best for people who are in a in a tough place yeah that's well said i have one final question to kind of tie this all back into sex education which is what what would you change about your sex education if you could go back what like ideally what do you wish that it could have been <laughs> so i i think i'll probably i mean this this may not be useful or not but I think I when I when I think about this I always come back to that like the justification that is always offered for abstinence only purity culture centric education which is oh well you know there's all these predatory people out there and there's all these you know bad relationships people can get into and you know by doing this we're helping them you know make sure they respect themselves and make sure that they stay safe from all those things. And what really, what came together for me as I was trying to unpack a lot of this stuff is like, you know, in my early 20s, basically, was that it is still very possible to be in profoundly abusive and unhealthy relationships, even if you are not having sex at all. Mm -hmm. And the purity culture communities that I was a part of didn't that wasn't even on their radar it didn't even seem to like you know the framework didn't even really seem to account for the idea that healthy and unhealthy ways of relating and being a peer to someone and someone who was you know romantically or sexually attracted to another person the idea that there there were other things to consider than just whether or not to have sex wasn't even on the radar. And that yeah. meant that no one was ever told about how to recognize unhealthy relationships, how to recognize abuse in and controlling behaviors, um, mm -hmm. figuring out how to like communicate a more healthy and positive view of relating to other people with mm -hmm. sex as a component of that that is part of 
being human for many, many people, but it's also not required. You know, it's, it's, it's a thing that you can decide. You may, for religious reasons or personal reasons, decide you don't want to in general or in, in a particular relationship or at a particular mm-hmm. moment or whatever. But like, that is part of, that is one of the facets of being a whole and healthy and caring person. And looking at that as the thing that we're trying to build, I I feel like a, a culture that provides that um, would have certainly saved me a lot of complicated and difficult questions and <laughs> grappling with those things later in life. And I know a lot of, you know, friends and loved ones who I think would have been spared tons of, tons of very difficult times if that is what they had gotten rather than don't have sex, then you'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. So just like a basic willingness to actually talk about all of these things. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously like a a willingness to talk about and engage with the, you know, sex and, and sexuality as a, a, an okay topic that is worthwhile to discuss and that is not inherently bad. Um, even if you choose to have sex, Mm -hmm. that's okay. You know, it's, it, it, that in the framework of like how to be a decent and caring person, you know, feels like it would, boy, that would just be fantastic. Wouldn't it? (laughs) It would. (laughs) And, you know, I, I know that there are, there are people who are approaching it in that way. Um, and so, for in, in a large way, you know, I'm saying that sort of to the people in purity culture that I knew yeah. and who are still sort of holding the line there, like, mm-hmm. to them, I would probably say, like, you know, the more you can focus your energies on those things, well, if you, if you manage to get a, you know, a 15-year-old who's confident in who they are and believes that they can make choices and are okay as a person when they make those choices, you will actually help them avoid a lot yeah. of that pain that you're, yeah. af- you're saying that you're afraid they will, you know, be hurt by anyways. Right. I, oh, that, I, I, I wasn't prepared for how, how fired up I was going to get about that. But. <laughs> <laughs> now you're fired up, fired up for, <laughs> right. for something different. <laughs> healthy, reasonable human relationships. That's, that's my <laughs> rallying cry. <laughs> I love that. That's a lot more healing. <laughs> wow. Jeff, thank you so much. The, this has been like so informative. I feel like I, I need to go like sit down and, and think <laughs> Well, well, thank you for uh, for having me here to to rant and like wave my arms vigorously about this. I really appreciate it, and, and I'm I I love the stuff that you know you're doing on the podcast and and the the st- the information that you're getting out and the perspectives that you're exploring here. It's really cool. Thanks, so, Jeff. Thank you. Yeah, that's so kind. Can can you tell people where they can find and follow your work? Uh, yeah, so um, uh, my personal website is uh, eaton.fyi, and I'm on Twitter as at Eaton, E-A-T-O-N, where I rant about 
everything under the sun. Um, uh, the <laughs> podcast that you mentioned earlier, uh, Christian Rightcast, um, it's uh, on a bit of a hiatus right now, but it, it, there's quite a few uh, back episodes and uh, we're, pl- we're planning on getting things back rolling again. Um, you can find that at rightcast.substack.com. Uh, mm-hmm. Wow, I forgot. Forgot what? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's a dot com. I dot have com. Substack yeah. too. <laughs> Anyways, it, yeah, it's a uh, it's uh, Rightcast at uh, Substack, mm-hmm. um, and you can also find us at C Rightcast uh, on Twitter. Um, yeah, it's, I think that's uh, that that's where you can usually find uh, the the yelling and the vigorous uh, <laughs> arm waving or weird cat memes. Yes, definitely go check out go check out the Christian Rightcast. It's wildly fascinating and sometimes dark and depressing yeah i was gonna say kaylee and i listened to like two maybe i think two episodes on the drive down to her bachelorette party it was it was a great time where we (laughs) really got us fired up (laughs) that that, that feels like incredibly high praise thank you it was great we're we're huge fans of your podcast yeah definitely and thank you so much for for coming on to ours it's been a pleasure and uh i'm looking forward to future episodes too yeah Yeah. thank you thank you Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode and the last episode of our talks with Jeff Eaton. I know for me, this was an incredible experience. I admire Jeff and his co-host, Kristen, for their work that they do on the uh, Christian Rightcast so much. And it was such an honor to have Jeff on here to talk about things. And it was also just so cathartic to talk to somebody who was really deeply entrenched and, and deeply believed in purity culture, like I did for so many years, who has now also come out of it and has spent a lot of time analyzing it. So yeah, I definitely, I got a lot from this. <laughs> I hope y'all did too. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, please reach out to us. Our email is hello at sexedshouldn'tsuck.com. We also have a contact form on our website, which is sexedshouldn'tsuck.com. If you want to reach out to us there, you can also reach us via our Twitter or Instagram. Our handle is sexedshouldn'tsuck. Um, if you feel like supporting the podcast in any way, please check out our Patreon. Uh, there's all kinds of different tiers of support that you can offer, um, a few of which include a shout out on the podcast so shout out to bill thank you for being such a lovely friend of the podcast and helping support us uh every week and even when we're not putting content out you are really truly a great and wonderful supporter thank you bill and also as we like to thank every week kent thank you for supporting us by mastering our sound and helping us sound good He's about to go out on tour again with Save Face, so go check them out if you have the time. I personally love their music and am kicking myself for missing their concert when they were here near me, so go see them if you can. I've heard they put on an incredible show, and they're known as Gay Slipknot, so (laughs) definitely go check that out. Alrighty, then we will be back soon with more episodes to finish out this season. Love y'all. Bye. How, how, how can you not be rattled when you're a kid and like all of the authoritative people you know are like, yeah, the world's going to end in fire and whether or not... If you're not, not a Christian, yeah. mommy and daddy are going to disappear without you and then you'll have to... <laughs> It's like live through the apocalypse. It's like evil Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs>